Hi, I'm Chris Waddell. Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. Welcome to the One Revolution Wednesday chat. Today, I am super excited to have Jeff Creel joining us. Jeff is a, he was a 40, for, this is a little while ago, right? Yeah. 40 under 40 yeah. uh, leadership yeah. award in, in New Hampshire, a U.S. Disabled Snow Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, he is a national team member for PSIA. He does a variety of things. He, he coaches, he teaches. He is teaching able-bodied people. He's teaching people with disabilities. He's been all around. Why? So, Jeff, I mean, what we want to talk about, because with One Revolution, we have our four S's of resilience, which are, which are the touchstone of our name tags program. And they're about self-situation, support, and strategies, or strategy. And, and the self, the question is, it's stuff we can ask ourselves when things go wrong. So am I a victim or am I a survivor? Is really the question with regard to self, with regard to us. Is the situation overwhelming or is it a challenge? Am I alone or part of a team regarding support? And then strategy, do we have one strategy or many? And having been a teacher and a teacher of so many people, I think that you fit perfectly in talking about the strategies because I'm assuming you have had to come up with a variety of different strategies that teach a, a ton of different people, but coming back to what's, why did you decide that you wanted to go into instruction? How did that work? You know, there, there's a variety. I'll tell you what, it goes back to even like my first lesson, which, you know, God, I think back to the, the days when I was learning how to ski and we're talking 1995. So think of the equipment back then. Think about the level. And learning how to mono ski, right? Right. I mean, the ones that we had, I mean, it was some of the more basic, you know, Yeti was kind of out there. There was the um, original like Mobile Master. And we're not, not going back as far as like the GFL and things like that. But it was uh, just kind of coming into its own. So there was not a lot of the knowledge base wasn't really there. It was kind of like you got in it and you suffered through it and you worked through it and you figured out finally how to make it turn. And once that happened, I mean, it was like magical. You know, it was just, oh, my God, I'm back, you know. And I know it was probably the same thing for you, you know, being a skier beforehand and when all of a sudden those things came into play. But there was definitely a lot of grit. We lost, I, I always say this in a lot of my talks about resiliency in that time because there wasn't the level of instruction and the knowledge base that we lost a lot of good men along the way. Like a lot of people, and you hear it to this day of people that quit that were, pissed off. They just, you know, they couldn't make it. It wasn't a, a good experience and they didn't make it through and either they didn't get back into the sport. And you hear this in a variety of adaptive sports. It's not just skiing, you know? So I just found that instruction made sense for me. And then, you know, I, I looked at, you know, the U S team route for a little while. And then all of a sudden I'm like, man, that's a really hard way to make a living. And it's a hard way to like, you know, maintain a, a base. And I, I saw that instruction provided some stability, um, a little bit more, you know, as far as, you know, being able to make a paycheck and make a living, and, you know, do things like that. You know, I didn't have a, a settlement or anything like that. I wasn't on disability. I was just working. So I just got into that working aspect of things and instruction seemed to make sense for a lot of me. I saw a lot of potential and growth and I'm like, I want to do this for a long time. You know, it wasn't just going to be like a flash in the pan. So it's, I guess that's kind of why I decided to do a bunch of things business wise. And the fact that I absolutely love it and I still love it to this day, it stokes me up every time I think about it. That's awesome. You, you mentioned that it was difficult when you were learning. How long did it take you to kind of figure it out? You know, I, I would say like the first three, four, well, let's say it was probably four to five days were tough, you know, and it was, you know, part of it was slap, just you know, the slap, the, you know, the, the actual seat didn't fit me well. Um, you know, didn't have necessarily the right one. We kind of battled around. We kept doing different things and trying this and that. I mean, in those days, people understand even what an outrigger and the way you could make a turn was reach downhill. Nothing about what it actually did or how you could use it to interface. It was just like reach. And that wasn't, that's a minimal part of it. That wasn't really it at the end of the day. But um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a frustrating experience there in the beginning. But those three or four days, you just had to have some resiliency. You know, I, I talk about that often. I do a lot of resiliency talks myself with different, with different groups of people. Right. And 
and I, that is um, one of those things that it really tests you. Did you think you were going to be able to do it? Was there a moment as you were going through this progression that you thought, I don't know if I'm ever really going to get this? You know, it, it, it never, it was just, I knew that people did it. So <laughs> eventually I was going to do it, you know? So that, I guess that's my mentality. Eventually I'm going to get this, you know, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to figure it out. So, and you know, yeah, the, the crashes and the slaps were terrible from it, you know what I mean? But you, you push through and because you saw a bigger picture, all you had to see is if you saw a video of somebody else that was out there doing it, or they came by, you know, that's one of the things is just having a peer or seeing somebody else in our situation um, in a chair and they come, they come by and you see them and their ability to do it. That's a whole nother thing, right? You know, now you're like, okay, this is reality. It's not somebody else from a, a different perspective trying to tell me I can see this happening with them. So it just, it drives it home. It makes it easier, right? That makes that a big difference. Yeah. yeah well, it's funny because for me, I'd never seen anybody skiing a monoski before I got into one. I, I never did either. I really didn't. I, and I only thing I saw, I knew that there were a couple of people that had, but I never ran into them. I was going to a couple of lessons midweek. There was just like one or two guys at our resort that had done it. And even when I was skiing at that resort prior to my injury, I never saw them. I, the only person I really knew in the, let's say the disabled realm, I saw a guy on one leg that was ripping around all the time. This guy, Rocket Ron, and he was a legend on the mountain. And that was you know, no, you just always pointed it straight and he was on one leg because it was easier to do that. And that's, but I'd never had seen him on a ski until it was time for me to actually get in it. I just had had friends that said after my injury, you're going to ski again. And they got me back and I started skiing 10 months after my injury and really never looked back. How much had you skied before that, before your injury? You know, so I moved around a bit as a kid with my dad's um, business. Um, he worked for Wonder Bread and Hostess Cake. So started out in Ohio, went to Tennessee you know, Michigan, Georgia, um, but really then ended up in Connecticut um, from seventh grade through high school. And in seventh grade, that's where I learned to finally downhill ski. So then I skied all through college, was injured my senior year in college. And um, that's what it was. But, I, you know, I loved skiing. You know, like it was a every weekend kind of thing, trying to find, get up there and do it as much as I possibly could. Absolutely was enamored by it, you know. And did you know that you were going to ski again, like in the hospital? I, I did. I did happen to read a letter that you had sent from your, from your future self back to your, to your, uh, to to yourself, <laughs> your your earlier self, I guess it was, and and, and that that you really didn't have much of a mourning period for, no. for your injury. And no, I just kind of knew that you know there wasn't, and this is part of you know the the resiliency part, right? You need really need to take assessment of where you're at and what what is reality and what isn't. And I kind of did that right from the very beginning. And I can't tell you why I knew that. I knew that from the moment, so I was injured in a snowmobile accident. And I knew that the moment I was laying on the snow that night, staring up at the sky, I just had this feeling that I was gonna be okay. And I just need to be on this path. And I just, and I went with it and I never, maybe I'll melt down one of these days and figure out this is a bad lifestyle I've been going with, but I don't think so at this point. I think I figured it out. So. You're far enough along right now. I think you've kind of figured out what you're going to do, but you, but was skiing a part of that plan or did you have? Yeah. You know, skiing, well, skiing became a part of it because, you know, I'm, you know, in my rehab hospital, um, you know, I had friends, I was part of the mountain community and I had friends that volunteered in an adapt in the adaptive program at the time. And they were saying like, you're going to be back in the mountain skiing. And I'm like, okay, sounds great. I can't wait to be back there. It was just like, okay, I was, I was up for what were the next things that were, outside of let's say the hospital environment you know the the first thing that i bought after um i sold my standard um man, you know manual transmission uh car and i bought the phoenix the downhill off-road wheelchair mountain bike that was my like first adaptive piece of equipment and even in that first year my friends got together and did a fundraiser for me up here some music and a auction and bought my first monoski and off i went you know then it was just I had equipment and I could do stuff and it was super fun. I think that's an important part of it, you know, having access to that, you know. Having access to the equipment because the equipment changes everything, right? And, and you've made a point as well in terms of when you were learning to ski, you were in a program ski, the seat didn't exactly fit you, which, which makes it hard. You've got to persevere through that because you're like, okay, okay, this isn't great, but I'll figure it out because 
you can get into something and the day before you were skiing fine. And then now today you can't make a turn to save your life. But was the equipment kind of the gateway when you started getting your own equipment and thinking, okay, this, I, I can, I can do whatever I want to do. Was, was that where the light bulb came on? Yeah. And just even in that learning process, I learned that the equipment was crucial to the process, you know, because every time, you know, you either you'd show up and then you'd have to repad everything or do a different setup as it would, wouldn't always be the same, um, different ski that was available, something, you know, a lot of different variables to it, but you really realize that how important you couldn't wait to get your own piece of equipment. Once you, once you found the love and a basic understanding of the sport, then you're ready to make that decision on what you need. And, and you need some educated people to help you make that decision too. They can't, because a lot of people don't even know what's available to them out there. You know, some people will be very just accepting of, well, this is the ski I learned in. So it's, that's what I, and I'm able to make it down the mountain. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go with that. But there's a lot of other options out there, you know, so just having access to try a few different things exposed to different opportunities and options is is crucial and and i love that a lot of programs in this country are are trying to go that route you know and trying to get more equipment to people and having the opportunity for people to try things before just buying it for them because then the thing just ends up being a dust collector somewhere and, and they're not able to use it properly or well you know and then they need to reapply and it just wasn't a good use of money and everybody's time and effort well it's also it's a big commitment both personally and financially to the equipment is it is certainly expensive. Is that so? What, now that you're now that you're teaching, is that a big part of it? I noticed that you were doing some work with like Aspen Seating, with Joe out there with with yeah. getting people locked in so that so that they are ensuring that they're going to have a better experience. Is that a big part of what you do? Yeah, very much so. You know, I'm I'm a big proponent of getting the fit right, and it, and it, you know, it's a lot more than just the sports aspect of it, this comes down to your everyday wheelchair. There's that saying out there, your first chair is your worst chair. And it's because there people aren't taking the time to really understand, not only take into effect what the person's personality is, you know, what maybe they're going to be planning to do with this chair, instead of it just being a straight prescription to, well, here's a basic chair, you need this, boom, and go. You know, look at the person's lifestyle, maybe what they want to try to accomplish. Um, you know, there's a lot more to it. You know, this is a real personal choice and sometimes i don't think i think it's more of a an insurance reason than it is really looking at the person or the individual for what they could be using it for for long-term effects right i mean if you weren't given the right tires that means or the white right chair that could go over grass you may never go on grass or you don't have a chair that you felt that you could get into a wheelie to be able to go off of a curb that's taking away a whole other uh, group of places that you might actually go and be ex an experience and all that stuff starts to slowly hold you back from being the person you want to be, you know? So I'm, I'm a big proponent of trying to get people into the right stuff and then see where they can grow from it. So does that come from personal experience? Is that where you're drawing this, uh, this mentality? Yeah, I think it's personal experience. It's us also being in this industry of, um, I guess if you want to say in the adaptive sports industry for so long and seeing the different, I guess, prescriptions that people have been given and then, you know, their inability to do things. And when they're given the right piece of equipment, how it just blows up for them. It's, like, it's a game changer, right? It's, it changes what their life is, you know, what they can do. They, it even comes down to their own psychological perspective on life. I mean, it can be huge, just the tiniest little things and saying, wow, I can do this now. And now they're off and running. It is kind of funny when you take the step back and look at some of this equipment, right? And you, you look at a monoski and, and you say, wow, like this, this makes sense. It makes sense. There's been a, a significant evolution. People did have to come up with the idea of the monoski, but the idea of, you know, effectively being paralyzed and sliding on the snow, if you, you know, part of your brain is going, you're going, that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. But then you look at this and not only does it work, but it can be, it can be beautiful. And I was asking that question about, did you have that moment where you thought this is never going to be anything more than a struggle? It's not going to get to that point where, where it really gets to be fun and really gets to be beautiful. And 
I skied my first year with Jim Martinson at the end of the year. I'd gone to nationals that year and I skied with Jim Martinson and I got off the lift and I watched him ski and went, Oh, okay. Like you can actually do this. This is, this is real skiing. And, but even like your, your hand cycle is the same kind of thing. Like if you look at it and go, okay, I got into this thing, which, which, you know, you wouldn't think it looks like a street luge, right? You look at it and go, well, would I really want to get into that? And, and you get into it and go, I'm moving and I'm moving faster. And, and I think that that's the cool part of what you're able to share with people is, is kind of being the person who's seen a lot of things personally, but then also seen a lot of people. And you talk about, you talk about all the different ways that we can help one another reach a common goal. And, and when you're, when you're, when, when that's your objective, what do you mean? What is the common goal? The common goal for me is just to see people be happy about their lives again. And you know what? Sport and access to recreation. So just like my mountain bike, I originally got that, um, that Phoenix because I thought it would get me back into the woods or I'd get to a trail. I didn't realize. Can you describe that? that? The yeah. I mean, I, it, what it is, it's a four-wheel off-road downhill wheelchair mountain bike with suspension. It's an amazing piece of equipment. And I bought it because I thought, you know, I'll be able to get back down to the swimming hole or I'll be able to at least, I love the woods. I love being able to be on trails. That looked like more of a piece of equipment that was going to allow me to do that than the wheelchair that I was just given and just getting into. So then next thing you knew, I didn't know that I'd be competing and wearing body armor and flying to Japan and racing there and doing all those fun things that, you know, we ended up doing. And it was it was a game changer. I mean, sometimes you, the equipment, just even like my ski, right? It's amazing and beautiful and fluid in what it can do. And it allows you to ski down the same trail a hundred times, a hundred different ways. It's up to you how you paint it, right? You can do anything you want with it. But at the same time, one of the coolest things is that, you know, like I'm able to now like teach my kids how to ski and to be able to go out and do that and to be able to go ski with them and, and my wife and, and friends and family, that was really the reason I did it. It wasn't to be, you know, like become the Paralympic athlete or to become this my career. In the beginning, it was just to be back out there and ski with my friends. And that's, that's kind of it at the end of the day, right? Is that you, you do these things so that you can experience life and be back, that you're not missing out on any opportunities. It gets you back there. And I'm still blown away by what a mono ski or any of this equipment that we have can do because I look at it and I think back to when you're first injured and you think of, thought about what paralysis could be and what a life in a wheelchair was going to be. Man, I didn't think that that would be it. And I'm still blown away by when I get in that piece of equipment and get to do what I do in it. And I know you feel the same way. It's mind blowing. Like this just shouldn't be possible. Somehow it is. And it happens and you're like, there's nothing better. It's just so cool. You know? Well, it's, uh, you, you mentioned a couple of things that were really interesting, right? Right. One is the peer part of it that, that you can do this and then you can share that experience with your friends because I think that's one of the biggest worries, right? That something like this happens to you and you're cut off from those people. I mean, you might be able to see them like, you know, you could go to the mall together or you could do, you know, whatever, you know, you could go get an ice cream somewhere or something, but you, you couldn't do the stuff that you really considered to be who you were. Right. Like, can you remember like the first time that you were able to say you met a girl and you wanted to go out and go on a date and be like, Hey, you want to go skiing today? And how cool is that as a, as an option for you as a wheelchair user? I mean, the fact that those options are, Hey, let's go on a bike ride together or let's go do this. Or you want to go water skiing? You know, it's, it's just cool that there's equipment out there like that. And if you can access it, it just normalizes life and kind of, it puts the whole chair thing aside, right? You know, it's, you're able to do whatever you want to do and be involved in life and still be doing cool things with everybody else. That's, that's the magic of all this stuff. That's the objective. And that's where we're really lucky that some of those pioneers went and created yeah. some of this equipment. I mean, I look back on like one of the, one of the Facebook, uh, Facebook uh, groups is, is this history of wheelchair racing. One. And you look at what those guys were racing, like they're racing in 50 pound stainless steel wheelchairs, the same thing that anybody would see still if they went to the ER, 
they were racing in those things with handles on the back and leather upholstery and, you know, gigantic footrests and your foot might well just fall off completely. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it's amazing to look at what people did and gave us that opportunity to yeah. make it happen. You, you mentioned, it's kind of funny because you talk about the peers, right? But then you also said that you taught your kids how to ski. And I know that you've taught a ton of people how to ski. I am guessing that teaching your kids was probably the most challenging group that you ever taught to ski. Is that well, true? It, it definitely is. But, you know, I'd be, you know, my wife put a lot of that legwork in there too when they were like the, in the year and a half to two years old. And, you know, when they'd go out for five minutes at a time and all that, you know, but when we, but what was cool is when they would start to follow me and to mimic me and that I could, you know, start to give them a little bit of instruction. And a lot of, one of my things early on was I did, I never wanted to teach them the pizza and French fries. I let everything just happen naturally because it was well, because just, because you can't, right. And it was my own sort of like experiment on it. And, you know, you had all the other dads and moms that were out there yelling at their kids, pizza, 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 going straight down the, you know how it is out on the beginner hill, 100 miles an hour. And there I am, you know, I'm teaching them turn shape. I like, if you want to take the fast route, follow me. And, you know, they would just, they bought into it. And, you know, they can hang on to me, um, you know, in the back if they wanted to and ski behind. There's lots of different things. But, yeah, the coolest thing was just being a dad out there and being able to be with them. It was, it was very, very cool. And to take that, that first chairlift ride, you know, with a little guy who's four years old, my son, and... I was afraid I was going to squish him with my sit ski. You know, it's just, he's just so tiny. And I didn't like, Oh my God, don't fall. When I get off the lift, don't fall. You're just going to crush him. You know, that's all that stuff. But, you know, but it, you know, we got through that, but it was a, it was a cool part and just teach him. Now those my kids just rip and they're racing and doing the whole thing. So. Right. Great. Were you ever, could you get down that, that whole, like picking the kid up thing? You know, the kid falls. Did you get that? So even, even as a, when they were little, my thing was to always put like um, Carhartt suspenders on them, you know, so they were in like the, uh, the overalls because mm -hmm. that was a built-in handle for a wheelchair user, right? As a dad, you just can, you pick them up everywhere. So I had the kids always wearing stuff like that. Or you use like the little vests that, you know, come from uh, your kinder bear or whatever little ski school that you have there. And you can actually pick them up. You've got handles. But yeah, I never found, I picked full size adults up from my sit ski. And there's nothing, it's probably nothing more humbling to a, um, a person or kind of embarrasses them a bit is when I pull up to them after they've just had this massive wreck and I'm grabbing their stuff off and I'm handing it back to them on the hill and then I give them my hand to be able to help pull them up, you know? You know, and that's, that's the thing. That's, that's what's cool. That's a great equalizer, what we do out on the hill. We're very lucky to be able to do that. Is skiing the greatest equalizer of the things that you do? I mean, you do a wide variety of different sports. Sure. You know, I don't, I, what I love about skiing is because it is so versatile. Like I said before, you can ski a trail a hundred times, a hundred different ways. And so, and you can make it whatever you want. You know, you get to paint your own picture every time you go down. So, I mean, as far as the freedom of being out of your chair and the versatility that you have, I feel more comfortable in it. I don't know if you agree with that same statement. It just gives you such a, an air of freedom. I mean, I love my, my bikes and that kind of thing, but it's not quite the same as the ski like where I want to go there I want to go to this spot I want to go to that place it just has a, a whole nother. once I'm in it you know talk about the struggle you know one of the hardest parts of your day you know as a as a training director and the guy that's like teaching everybody to ski you know in my ski school there is that I show up in the morning snowed a foot and a half of snow first one there you know and I got to bring a training group out in the morning you think the parking lot's plowed no it's not and my life is miserable for a little while when I'm going through that. And I got to push across that parking lot. But you know what? The second I get in the building, I can dry off my hands and get the wet gloves off or they're frozen. I'm feeling frostbitten. And I get in my ski and it's a powder day and it's magical. And that's, that's what's really cool. It's, I mean, part of it, I think, is, is the social part of skiing is different than it's almost like an accidental social part where you're running into people in the line you're you know you, you're not literally but you know you're you're in close proximity to those people you can have a conversation with them conversation with people on the hill whereas like if you're on your bike you're going with 
whoever you're going with. If, unless you're on a bike path or something like that. But if you're going out on the road or something, you know, so I think that's, there's more opportunity for the interaction. What do you say to people when they say, wow, you're, you're better on one ski than I am on two? <laughs> I mean, and you hear that statement every single day, right? You know, it's, what can you say to them? I mean, and you, and you know, they're looking at that and they're just, they're blown away by what it is. And you know, like, you know, like I worked hard at it, you know, like I, I agree. I know I used to ski on two skis too. The difference, you know, in my life, I had to learn how to ski twice. You know, I learned to ski on two legs and I learned to ski again on one ski. So, and they were, and they both were hard and they were both hard, but it's what you put your time into. I go, I'm also out here every single day. So that's a difference, you know, this is my job. So it's not that I put the time in. Is that part of what you communicate to you, to the people you're teaching as well, is that there really is that you have to put some time into this to get good at it? Sure. So um, because I work, you know, a lot of, I, I'm the training director for the able-bodied ski school. So imagine what, it, what it's like and what that, a big leap of faith that was coming into the quote unquote able-bodied alpine ski world. And your training director and the guy teaching you how to ski is, is a sit skier. Right. That was a big leap of faith, not only from the management and my director, Rob, the beer. And, you know, like it was it was super cool that they saw the value in what I could bring to the table. Not just looking at me as a sit skier, but that I know skiing and the, the kind of content that I could develop for those people, too. And that's been really fun. But at the other part is I have to interact sometimes and come in when there is I try not to be the person that is a never, ever um, lead coach right in the beginning, because imagine you're already scared coming to the mountain. Everything's new. Everything's different. I don't know what to expect. And you're expecting, you know, the Austrian God to come out in front of you as a ski instructor. And here you get the sit skiers. Like, and they're just like, whoa. I mean, it can, it could be too much. Right. And I don't want to put them in that situation because they're learning. They're already fearful. All the anxiety of the being a beginner. So a lot of times, you know, they may start with somebody, but then I'll come in and take somebody that's really struggling away from a group. And then they're blown away that the amount of expertise that I have and how I'm able to work with them and get them to surpass maybe a lot of the other people that were in the rest of the group. So it's, it's kind of a unique psychological, I guess, experiment in seeing how people perceive you in the beginning. But it's also a great test to see where you are in relationship to as a teacher. I think it's a really cool thing. Are you able to bring a perspective that is different that helps them, or what? How how do you, how can you help them more possibly than somebody else can? So one of the one of the things that you know in the in our PSI world we have these different um, fundamentals in relationship to people skills. One of them is build, building relationships built on trust, and to me that is like the crucial piece in interacting this even like as as we talk as we we meet a new student we're um, trying to relate to maybe somebody with a new disability if we can't get them to trust us and that they can take on a new challenge or a new life lifestyle or a new piece of equipment new sport whatever it may be they have to trust me first or the learning never happens so developing that relationship built on trust and that you they see that there's some value in what you're going to bring. That first impression, those first 30 seconds are everything. You know, you, you've got to fake it till you make it right at the beginning. Show them that, you know, that you own this, you know your stuff and that you're going to help them be successful and explain it to them. You know? Well, because, because the trust, the, the trust becomes a big question, right? When they're sitting there, they want to learn how to ski. And all of a sudden this guy with one ski shows up, who's going to tell them and they look at you and go, well, you have no idea what I'm going through. You can't, you can't do this. You can't teach me pizza. You can't demonstrate pizza. You can't do a snowplow. Like, I, I mean, you're, you're at an entire disadvantage right at the beginning. So, I mean, I don't think it's faking it until you make it. I think that, that you probably, I, I, I don't know. I think what, how, how do you build that trust? How do you get them to trust you and, and know that you, that you know what you're talking about. Cause it looks like they're the, like, you're playing an entirely different sport and you know, they're looking at it going, look, I want to play pool and you're a tennis player. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you have to teach me? Right. You know, I think in part of it, it's, it's the team effort and the explanation in the beginning, you know, you're able to explain it. So I go, here's the thing I know. I, you call the, you address the elephant in the room, if you will. You're like, 
I know you're probably going, whoa, what is this guy in one ski doing teaching me? I'm like, don't worry. So the thing is, I work, all these instructors here, I work with them all the time. I'm their training director. I work with them. And a lot of times, even when they hand somebody off to me, they'll explain like, you don't know how lucky you are today to be getting Jeff to be able to even go out with you. And things like that. And then they're just like, oh, okay. And then just, there's a, that we build it in a, it's not only in the handoff, but it's even the way I present it. I'll address it. Like, I don't pretend like it doesn't exist. And say, yeah, I, yeah, I'm on one ski, but I can show them a lot of what they need to be doing with their feet, with my hands. I can do all the movements that they need to. So there's, it's not difficult. And I can also point out to other people in the group and what they're doing aside. So there's a lot of things that you can watch and see that are going out on the hill. There's a lot of, I use a lot of physical features on, out on the hill. And that's one of the styles of things that I've worked on um, out on the hill. So I use things like fire hoses filled with sand that are, we call them snakes. And a person will have to straddle them with two feet and ski it. But it, it, I can define the turn shape that I want them to make. And the thing is, they actually have to turn their inside ski to follow the snake. So they have to follow and steer their feet. And once you learn how to steer your feet on skis, game over. you got to steer. So It's so. all pretty easy. That's interesting that you go in that direction because as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, this puts a premium on your ability to describe what somebody needs to do. But you're saying you're taking it from the theory because people learn in so many different ways, right? I mean, they learn through demonstration. They learn through through what you're talking about sounds like more, more a functional application of what's going on. You can learn from the description. And so, so you've gone and, and created a variety of different ways for people to understand what it feels like. Was that your intention? Right. Is to be able to use, sometimes I use physical features. Right. You know, in yeah. order to dictate a turn shape or where I want them to be and put, in essence, almost obstacles that make them put their feet in the way that I want them based upon the way I set up this quote unquote course. Yeah, there's lots of different ways to address teaching, but it, it, it just comes back to, they've got to trust you in the journey and you set the goals right from the beginning, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. Um, and then they're like, yeah, they're there to learn anyway. So they, they're willing to take it on, you know, and they're excited when they see somebody that's also energetic and excited. If you, just show up like it's the end of the day and you're kind of like you got your head down as an instructor. And that's what I mean. Even if you're feeling that way, you got to fake it till you make it because you know what, you're going to have a terrible lesson if you started out that way. But if you build that excitement about it's going to be the greatest day ever, you're going to learn how to ski today. This is the best. And I don't care what that is. And it should be the same thing in our adaptive world too, when we're trying to teach people how to get, get along and get further. Like you made the, you made the choice. You showed up today. This is going to be awesome. And yeah, you may fail and you may not happen today, but this is going to happen. And when it does, it's going to be a game changer to your life. So you got to set the expectation of how cool it can be. Well, you're also sharing your passion too, right? So it's not, it's not an act by any means. It's like, this is going to be a great day. Let me help you get to the point where you're really going to love this. How did that work? when you're coming in as the clinician, because if you're teaching somebody who's, who's coming in for a lesson, that's one thing. But when you're teaching the teachers, that's an entirely different thing because I know a lot of instructors and there are most assuredly those instructors who have read everything about everything and they know each little incremental thing and they're probably going to challenge you along the way, how did, how did that end up working and how did you get those guys on your side? Well, sure, I mean, that's, you always have the guys that, that learn to ski from reading the book, right? You know, they spent, they read everything, they, and even nowadays, it's amazing how many people as a beginner, they, they already know how to ski because they watched it on YouTube. And it's, it's not the reality, you know, it, it takes a, a little more than that. And, Yes, there are the people that they think they've read about everything in this aspect. And, but you know what? I think where I was able to maybe bridge that gap was I was able to just show them through how my body works because a ski is a ski is a ski, how you bend it, twist it, tip it, whatever you do to it. You're able to, there's a lot of equivalencies from a two-footed alpine skier to what we do as a sit skier. You know, let's think you, you've heard people in, in skiing talk about long leg, short leg, right? You know, so 
as a sit skier, our thing, we have a long rigger and a short outrigger. In other words, the uphill outrigger gets shorter and moves inside. So if you relate that so much to what we do in relationship to where our outriggers move and where they are under our body when we're skiing, is exactly what you're doing with your feet as an able-bodied alpine skier. And when they can see that and see the difference in between legs and feet and outriggers, then they can start to see that and be like, oh, and they develop an eye on how to read me and what I'm trying to tell them what to do too. Because they, I'm able to explain it to that level through different parts of my body. And it also comes down to what can you do on the snow with it? You know, all those same terms of inclination and angulation all happen within our bodies too. We just don't have as many things happening at the same time, you know, as many joints to angulate. Right. We have one joint. We have the hip joint. That is pretty much it. No, he, no right. knees or ankles or foot sure. flexion or any of this stuff. How does this apply on a general sense? Like we've been talking about skiing specifically and, and teaching skiing. Once you become a teacher, you're a teacher, right? How have you applied this, you know, to teaching your kids, to teaching other sports, to, and, and also probably to your everyday life as well, because you're teaching yourself too, aren't you? Which is often your, often your most difficult student. Sure. You know, I'd say, you know, it's developing the patience of being a teacher. You know, that's a, a number one skill. And, and not being frustrated with the student. Don't always pick your, your agenda. But you need to be open to what is happening in the moment. Because there's a lot of teachers that say, this is the lesson plan. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. Well, the reality is that never really happens. You know, things change or they struggle with a certain aspect of it. If you cannot morph or change your approach moment to moment as you work through this, you'll never be a successful teacher. You have to have, you have, to have more than plan A, right? So I've always looked at it as I'm looking at an approach. I'm looking at, well, if this fails, we'll do this. And if that fails, we'll do A, B, and C. So that there's roundabout ways to approach it so you have better options for success. Those are just some of the things that, and those are, great life skills, right? And being able to do that. You can't just look at it from one, one direct way or one approach. If you're looking at multiple approaches, you're probably going to be a better teacher. Yeah. Because you can also address the learning styles that we just discussed before too, because there are going to be, let's say you're in front of a group, right? It's not always one-on-one -on -one like you and I talking here. It's more that you have a group here and this person learns by visual and this person learns this way. And it's okay to be giving each one let's say specific feedback in specific directions that are all different within that same group and still end up at the exact same place at the end of the day. Yeah. The roadmap along the way, you send them different directions and try different things, but you end up at the same goal. At the end. Well, and that's often the way it is with coaching, right? You, I, I've always thought that you have to be able to say the same thing a hundred times in order in order to be able to get the result that you're looking for. And finally the light bulb goes on and they go, Oh, why didn't you tell me that before? I've been telling you that, you know, over and over again for a long time, you just haven't, it, it wasn't the one thing that clicked with you. Do you feel like now that you can assess somebody when they're, when they're walking up or when they're rolling up to the, to the snow or whatever it is that you're looking at them going, okay, I'm looking at this person. I'm thinking I know kind of the direction that we're, we're going to go before you even start. Yeah, I definitely do. And, I, you know, so much of that comes from adaptive experience. The most I learn about a person is when I watch a roll or walk or however they ambulate into a room, you know, the way they move their body. I spend so much time assessing, you know, broken bodies, right, if you will, and, and what they have, what they're able to move, what they can't move, what's been fused, you know, so from that aspect, and I do, and it's actually been a great asset for me in the able-bodied world, because you know what, people who ski on two feet every day, they got a lot of messed up stuff going on too, between fused ankles and knees that are blown out, and you know, one leg that's shorter than another, and all these kind of things, flat feet, and if you can, like, kind of dial into the minutiae of it, it's the same thing we do in adaptive. We're able to act, I'm able to help them a little more quickly because of that experience and really looking at the body and the way it reacts to the equipment. That's been a big, I think an area which I've been really successful in too. I can just look at a body and the way it's moving and then start to ask questions. And they're like, Oh yeah, I, I do have that going on. So 
Yeah, and that's and that comes from just that experience of being in the the broken body world of adaptive, right? And having to problem solve and figure things out. That's I love that Frankenstein approach to skiing and problem solving. It's fun to figure out the problems because they exist for everybody, able-bodied or not. Well, it's part partially also I would imagine your trust as well. You're building that trust by looking at somebody and going, okay, I think this is what we're going to try with this. I see that this is what's happening and that's what's happening and and before you've even really interacted with somebody, they get a sense that you know them. Yeah, and especially if you give them a why you're, why you're asking them to do it or why you want them to make a change. It's not just giving them a directive, right? It's explaining, I want you to do this, and this is why, because this is going to be the outcome. Then they see something more than this guy just shouting orders and rhetoric at them. So what, how is it with your kids? So you said your kids are racing now. Yeah, I try to be... A little more hands-off with my kids at this point you know um part of my philosophy is too is that the mountain teaches you a lot of things and so it's about experiencing the mountain in a lot of different ways um you know my my son loves freestyle as well but he's also racing and you know getting him to understand that the drills and things that he does in racing really help him into the freestyle world as well and vice versa and that they both complement each other of course freestyle and being a boy and jumping in the park and doing all those things is, is huge too, right? They, they love doing that. But um, it's trying to get them to understand that these things that you're doing right now that aren't always as much fun have longer lasting effects, you know? And then like my daughter is totally dialed into the racing world and she will just, you know, do drill after drill after drills, like really, you know, focused on things. Um, so they're, they're both each so different in what they love. But for me, it's just exposing them to all the different aspects of the mountain so they can have fun in it. And because, you know, whether they become competitive in whatever they do in it, that's great if that works out that way. But I want them to be lifelong skiers because, you know what? Like I said, I love being able to go ski with them. So when I'm an old skier in my time, you know what? The highlight of mine will be able to go ski with them and maybe some grandkids or whatever. And that's what I'll do, you know? So I just don't want them to leave the sport because I was so passionate about it and wanted to push them to do, to be good at it. But I think they're finding their own path within it. And I think that's part of coaching and being a good coach. You know, the, the greatness will come of its own, you know? Sure. And your point about the mountain teaching them is a great point too, in that if, if it doesn't work, you know, go back and figure out why it didn't work. And, and, and it's amazing to see how, bumps or powder or something like that will actually inform what you're trying to do on the groom trail. There are things that you can't get away with in those situations, in those conditions that you can get away with. And then you come back to the other and go, oh, my turn feels a whole lot better. Do you feel better as a skier after teaching? Does that, does that make you ski better? Does it hold you to a higher standard? Um, I, I think it, you know, it, Sometimes, you know, like, you know too much. So, so that, uh, so how often do you take a run where you're not actually thinking about your skiing? Being, from being not the, that often, really. No, no I, I don't either. But at the same time, some people would think that would be awful. I find that incredibly enjoyable because I'm, because I'm so focused on the minutia of it. It's, it's entertaining to me. Like the fact that I am learning and am a constant learner is entertaining to me. So when I'm making a run and I'm trying to figure out different things, or I saw somebody do something and I want to try it, can I do that? Is there a way that I can pull that off on the ski? What if I try this maneuver that I've been reading about, you know, or keeping my body in this certain position that I'm thinking about? That that stuff in experimentation is what keeps it real and fun. That's the part about skiing that's great. It never you never perfect it. It's that golf game, right? You're you're constantly trying and looking for perfection within it. And the, because the environment changes all the time, you know, between ice and bumps and powder and whatever the mountain is and steepness, it's, it's always changing and you're always having to change in your mind and how you're going to approach it. So it's constantly engaging. I don't, I don't find it to be a curse at all. I, I find that I, knowing that helps me along become better all the time. I, I, I don't just take a run and go, you know, like you don't, you can't. It's once you're in that mode, you're just, that's the kind of skier you are. I thought I would when I retired. I thought that's it. I've done all my thinking and now I'm done. And, and it's not the case. I mean, it really is, as you mentioned, the perfect turn 
is is that unicorn, right? I mean, we're we're all looking for it, and and it never actually happens. You get close enough that it brings you back, and you're like, okay, okay, I'm close. If I do this, then maybe it's going to work out. But also, I mean, you you have you know, the clock's ticking in some ways, right? I mean, you said you want to continue to ski with your kids. You want to continue to ski with your grandkids. So you better keep your game up too, right? You got to keep growing or else you're, or else they're going to be like, ah, we don't want to ski with you. You're too slow. Right. Well, you can, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be that. It's going to happen anyways, you know, but it is. But it, the fact that you can still ride the lift and have the conversations, yeah, they'll have to wait for you and that kind of thing, I'm sure comes along the way. but. I'm just, you know, like I said, I was in it for the long haul. I wanted it to be a sport for a lifetime, and it can bring you a lot of different enjoyments along the way, not only as a career, but also as, you know, the socialization aspect. And then there's, there's a million other reasons why you want to be out there doing it. No, just staying fit, too, you know, that, that mindset to stay fit for your sport so you can do these things. That's an important thing even within the disability world, right? You know, if, if you kind of let yourself go and you fall out of, you know, fitness and health-wise – you got to really stay on top of that game to be able to continue to do these things that you love. It's the things that you love. And then those things actually make the everyday things, you know, just transferring off the couch into your chair or into your car or whatever that much easier because, you know, you're, 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 you're preparing for a, for a more demanding situation. And so it makes yeah. that everyday stuff earlier. It's more than just sport. It's really training. It's a training for your life especially in our situation. You know? it is. Well, and for you, it's, it's become a lifestyle, right? I mean, it's become a lifestyle. It's become who you are. How is it translating? Because you're going back and forth, right? You're going back and forth between the able-bodied world, the disabled world, and, and being able to translate what's happening to, with, with a particular progression, you know, a, a new thing for this year. This is what we're going to be trying this year. And taking that from the able-bodied world and bringing it to the disabled world, but then also going back and forth. I mean, you've talked about that a little bit, just in terms of people's setup and and how they're how they're walking and how how there there isn't really a sense of perfection. But but how how is it going back and forth? And and does that does that create great demand on you? It, no, it actually I think it actually makes makes things easier because I'm not separating the two. I'm living in the world of skiing. They're just, they're intertwined, they're together. You know, it's, it's not really any different. And, and the reality is of a lot of the clinics that I go out and do and the people that I work with, I'm working, so I go to a, um, let's say an adaptive ski school at some mountain somewhere. And who do you think the people that I'm going there to clinic are? Are they people with disabilities? They're not. Really, they're people, able-bodied folks who are just, they're learning to try to help people with disabilities ski better. So, and then they're also trying to improve their own scheme at the same time. So I'm able to take the two and relate what they're working on in their own scheme, you know, picking a problem that they're having, for instance, and then how that same problem relates over to a three tracker or a, you know, one-legged skier or a, a mono skier or a bi-skier. And the translation, and then they're like, oh my God, that is the same thing that I do. And this is how you fix it. And now it's fixed both problems. It's fixed the one for the able-bodied person. And for them, when they're teaching and they have a better understanding of how to relate it to something in the disability world. So I think it's a great complement to each other. I don't find it difficult to like switch back and forth because to me, they're the same as same. It's just turning a piece of equipment on the snow. So is that what it comes down to is turning a piece of equipment on the snow, starting, starting with the ski on the snow and figuring it out from there up? Right, and then what body parts you need to enact. And based on what you have too, right? right. Yeah. yeah, turn what your mama gave you is what a, a friend of mine once said when we were writing one of the, the manuals, yeah? She says, I get this stuff now. She was one of the editors and uh, she said, yep, yeah, I get this now, what you guys are talking about. Just turn what your mama gave you. But, uh, <laughs> so what do you... What, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do moving forward? What do you think are your challenges now? to continue to get better? I think, you know, one of the, the, the challenges is always to, that people want to try to make what we do in skiing in the adaptive world so different. Yes, the equipment is different, but it's not that different. It's not different. Yes, you have to learn, you know, how to work with the equipment, but, but your eye and what you're trying to accomplish on the snow is exactly the same. 
you know, the, the same kind of fundamentals always apply. So getting people not to get caught up or so equipment focused all the time is a, been a big pushing point for me. Don't focus so much on the equipment all the time. Focus on what's actually happening to the skier, not only with their body, but also what's happening with in reaction of the, the ski to snow interface. You know, that's, people can get very caught up in, well, I need to, I need to do something more to that. I need to add more duct tape. I need to add more padding. You know, they want to always fix it with just an equipment piece versus that it's a, can actually be a tactic or, you know, what you're actually explaining to them in relationship to ski interaction. So I think it's just, it's an area that I think we need to focus on a little bit more. It's not so different. And I found that and it doesn't matter what sport, that I'm trying to adapt, whether it's water skiing or cycling, there's so many things that really become the same, the same tactics apply throughout able-bodied and adaptive sport. Well, it's an interesting dilemma that you're talking about because it is, it is true in sport in general, right? It's kind of like adapt your equipment to you or adapt yourself to your equipment. And, and, and there's always a fair amount to each one, right? Is, is, you know, you can take you can take something and you can figure out how to make it work. You can take the equipment and figure out how to make it work. Or you can take an idea of, oh, well, this is the way that I want to do this and continue to adapt that equipment to, to work. And, and so, so it comes off both ways. What do you see as, because it also sounds like you're talking about, if I can put words in your mouth, a, a bit of a, a purity of the pursuit. And the purity of the pursuit is, well, let's try to get this done with, with what we have. Let's try to find a way to achieve what we're looking for. What do you look, what, what do you consider to be the challenges? What are the challenges that you're, that you're confronting to, to achieve that? You know what? I, I, think, I think there's a perception because, okay, it's the, the shiny toy syndrome that happens a lot, you know? Look at your look at your sit ski right now, and the machining on it. It's absolutely gorgeous, right? You know, and between the knee hood and the, it looks like a Ferrari in a race car, and and the engineering, the, it's beautiful, right? I mean, you and I ski in the same sit skis, and they look incredible. People are just blown away by that when they see it. But they also, when people come out and don't know, and this happens a lot for even the disabled folks that come up for the first time, they think that the piece of equipment is going to allow them to ski. Not that they have to work with this piece of equipment to actually, there's, it still needs a pilot, correct? Yes. Right? And that they, it just isn't gonna happen from the fact that they're in this piece of machine and they can point it downhill like a sled and then now they're gonna be a skier. That there still needs to be so much teaching and so much you know, explanation of what needs to happen to be able to get that piece of equipment to work where I think a lot of times nowadays, especially in the disability world, either people have been given, I want to say rides or experiences versus actually having to take on a true learning experience of actually having to figure every little aspect of it out. I mean, we get in our wheelchair and it's going to wheel right down the hallway. It doesn't take a lot. It's pretty intuitive. But for a lot of our sports, there's actually a real hard learning period. And that's, if we're better at that, that's where we're going to win. In, in our world. So that's the, that's the bigger part that becomes a problem. Yes. It's, it's an interesting, I, I have a good buddy that I grew up ski racing with who said that people should be forced to learn how to ski on straight skis before they're given shape skis. I mean, obviously this is an extreme opinion, but you know, I mean, having, having had 210 GS skis that are just rattling around and stuff like that, you know, versus the shape skis that we have now and you roll them on edge and they Feel like they do most of the most of the work for you, uh, and and I agree with you 100. I mean, my my feeling has always been adapting to the equipment, figuring out how can I make this stuff work. I actually had a an interesting experience. You said that we both ski with the same ski company with Dyn Access, and Joachim uh, put on a different spring, a little bit lighter spring on the top of my on the top of my shock. So there's a little bit. It's a little bit softer at the top of the turn, and it was. It was funny for me. It was like night and day though, too. It was this one thing was, I went, wow, this, I feel more comfortable right now than I have felt in 10, 15 years. 
Yeah. And, and it's really interesting how the equipment can do that little tweak. But some of it, to your point, is that you need to do the work before you know what the equipment can do for you. Right. That comes right back to our beginning of our conversation, why it's so important to have the experience of being able to try lots of different pieces of equipment and to have that exposure, right? To truly learn what's going to work for you and have an understanding of that you know, before making that large investment. And it is a large investment and it's, and it's a life changer if you can get it right and make it work. It's exactly it. How do you continue to stretch yourself? I mean, you've become a great skier. You do a variety of different sports. How do you continue to stretch yourself? How do you, where do you choose that? You know, I, I think it's by trying to put myself in a lot of different learning situations and, ex- and not just get caught up in the way that, that I teach. I really enjoy going out on other people's clinics and hear them explain, like we said, a bunch of different, explain some, the same thing. Maybe they're explaining something that I've explained a lot of times, three or four different ways, and now I, now I learn a fifth way to say it. And I love exposing myself and just being really open to trying and not being, always being open to trying something new. And when somebody says, Ooh, I don't know if you'd be able to do that. Well, I'm going to try it. Let's see if that, if we can, or what's my version of that that may relate really well to something that we're trying. That's how you grow our sports. You just got to be continual, the forever learner, right? It seems kind of cliche and whatever, but if you can become a forever learner and just put yourself in situations where you're being exposing yourself to lots of different people, lots of different ideas and lots of different concepts. You know, we go to this one um, event, um, called Interski every four years where we get all the, di- the different groups of skiers from around the world who are involved in snow sports education. And to see the concepts that are coming out, it's this amazing think tank and you get new ideas and concepts. It's like a rebirth every four years. You come home and then you like write new articles and get new ideas about what you want to try and what some people are doing or maybe we can incorporate a little bit of this. It's, it's just being able to be out there amongst many instead of living in your own little fishbowl which that can sometimes happen in the disability world. You gotta, it all stemmed from something outside of when you're adapting something, you're adapting the sport. So we need to be able to bring it back to that sport when we're adapting it. Well, that is, that's the big challenge for everybody, right? That we can stay in our own little world. I've figured it out. I've done all of the learning, but the thing for you is that you have to be able to communicate that learning to somebody else. And when it's more immediate, when you've had to learn something, when you've had to go through the learning process, yeah, then that process makes more sense. It does. And I think, you know, I just love learning. It's, it's great to be learning out there. You know, I don't, you don't want to become so complacent in everything you do. If you're not improving or trying to get that one, I work with this organization, O2X, and we do resiliency training and whatnot and stuff with first responders in the military. But you, the goal is to get 1% better every day in your health and your fitness and your wellness and your, in your skill sets, whatever it may be, if you can try to get, and I don't really care if somebody gets better at 0.25%, as long as you're moving in that direction to try to get better and try to improve yourself, that's the right track. And that goes right back down to how did you at the very beginning, get back on your feet to speak of right after your injury is that you got a little bit better every single day. And we're still continuing on that path to this day. You know, any of us in our situation are. And that, and that doesn't matter if you're in a chair or not. You should be trying to do that in your life regardless. Starting each day can be a challenge, right? Starting it and figuring out, you know, do you, do you have a mantra? Do you have a quote? Do you have reminders that, that are like, hey, Jeff, 1% today. How do you get there? You know, just like be awesome every day. You know, so right now my, uh, my kids are away um, and my wife are alone right now for a, a few days or down on Martha's Vineyard. So we got up for a bike ride today and we both kind of just enjoying being on the couch so much. And it was great, you know, like, and it was quiet and like, oh, I'm just like totally reveling in it. And then we're like, but well, we said we we're going to get on that bike ride and we we're going to go do it before it gets hot. And like, yeah, it's early. And yeah, we're just enjoying this cup of coffee on the couch, but you know, but the reward of getting out there and getting after it and the way it makes you feel, that's it. It was getting better. You know, there's, Sometimes there's a little bit, of, it's hard to get off that couch to make it happen. But you know, once you do it and you're out there, it always feels better. And that's, that's kind of the mentality I work with, you know, that it's hard. No, to show up. Yeah. 
So it's knowing how it's going to make you feel afterwards. And while you're doing it, right. the hardest part is getting started, right? That yeah. get out there and get, and then when you get on your bike, you're like, oh, okay, this is perfect. This is, and then when you're done, you're like, all right, good. I'm so glad we did this. Now we have the rest of the day. Is there anything you're looking for in the next year? Anything new that you're going to add to your repertoire? No, I don't know that there's any like, not like a new sport or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm, you know, this is such a strange year anyways, with COVID and what you're doing, you know, it, for me, it's been just getting my kids um, involved in cycling a bit more, a little bit more on the road. Um, and they both just started um, downhill um, biking this year too. So doing the lift access with the flow tracks and all that. And it's, that's been really fun to be, you know, re-engaging and working with them on that stuff and they're loving that. So that's kind of, I think a little bit more of my focus going into the fall was playing with that kind of stuff with them and my family. So how old are they? They are nine and 10. It's a great place to end in some ways because, uh, because we've had you starting and getting out there skiing and, and one of the best parts about skiing was getting to join your peers, right. To, to, to effectively be able to share it with your friends. But then now you're in the, in the, position of being a dad and introducing your kids to a sport that you want to be able to share with them. And, and that's, that's the coolest part of, of, of being able to be a teacher and being able to be active and continue to be active and make it a part of the culture of your family. So thanks for joining us, Jeff. I really appreciate yeah, it. It's been great to chat as always, Chris, you know, and uh, great to see the efforts you're putting out there on your bike and whatnot on things like Strava all the time. So I mean, those are the things that get you up every day, too. I'm like, oh, man, if Chris doesn't see I'm on Strava anymore, he's going to think I'm being a slacker. So I got to get out there. There, there is that. And, it, and it's funny because I think I know you, you are often the first person to like a workout that I've done. I finish, I finish a workout and I get that ding. It's like Jeff Krill give, you know, gives you thumbs up on your, on your, on your workout. And I'm, wow, like I, I'm barely even out of my bike yet. How's he? Yeah paying attention. It really is. So, well, thank you all for, for tuning in. You can watch the full, uh, the, the full discussion on the One Revolution page. So you can go there and you can tune in and watch the full discussion. We will also have this up soon on YouTube where you can go to the One Revolution YouTube channel and check it out. So Jeff, thanks again. I look forward to seeing you on the hill when we can get back out on the hill. You hear it before you know it. All right. You take care. All right, Sounds good. Thanks All right. Take care. Bye.